welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We're very sorry for our sin, Lord, this morning. We humbly come before you to repent of it as a, as a people and to ask for your mercy and your forgiveness through your son, Jesus. Father, we're so thankful for the promise in Romans 8 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we receive that, Lord. And we pray now as we open your word that you would change us, Lord. There's so many areas we need to change. You alone, O oh God, can order the unruly wills and the unruly affections of our sinful hearts. Lord, grant that to us, your people, that we would love the things that you command and we would desire the things you promise. So that in this constantly changing world, Lord, our hearts would be fixed like an anchor to you, the only source of true and lasting joy. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to see beautiful things in your word this morning, that we'd never be the same again. And all God's people say, amen. If anyone needs a Bible, if you just put your hands up, um, David's got a stack of them back there, and he can bring you one, so if there's any hands up, we'll give you a Bible. Um, this morning, we're going to look at um, what, what should we do when we get heat for following Jesus? That's really what the passage is about this morning is, what should we do when we get heat for following Jesus? Um, when we suffer as Christians, we're tempted to two common misinterpretations. The first one would be when we suffer is we will we'll assume that we're being punished. We must have done something wrong, God's punishing us. That's one common uh, misinterpretation of suffering. Another one is, is that we're being abandoned, you know, that somehow God's abandoned us. And to look at those two reactions, all you have to do is open the book of Job, and you'll see both of those on display, both, both the idea of any suffering must be God's punishment or any suffering is God abandoning us. Uh, we tend to either think I've done something wrong or God's doing something wrong. And, and the reason why we tend to think that way, guys, is because our understanding of suffering has been more informed by the idea of karma than the gospel. Karma is, as you know, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. That's what karma is. And that's really the backbone of every man-made religion, is that you do certain things and you get payback. Um, The gospel, though, says is that not that you get what you deserve, but you get what Jesus deserves because he got what you deserve on the cross, the opposite of karma. And that's totally contrary to our way of thinking. Martin Luther said that the gospel is so contrary to our way of thinking that we continually need to beat it into each other's heads. Because we always think that, like, we will be treated as we deserve when in the gospel we're treated as Jesus deserves to be treated. So what's the other explanation we could have for suffering if it's not that I'm being punished for my sin because Jesus was punished in my place? And if it's not that God's abandoned me because in the gospel I have this loving Father? Well, Peter gives us in this passage a way to think about suffering, a way specifically to think about suffering for following Jesus that will lead us to joy and worship. And the first thing he says in verse 12 He says, don't be surprised when you get heat for following Jesus. Look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And um, Jesus, guys, has been really, 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 really explicit on the point that if you follow Jesus, you will get heat for it. Okay? It's all throughout the Gospels. And so when we do get heat for following Jesus, we can't be like, you never said this would happen. This is against the terms and conditions of our agreement. None of that. Because he's very upfront. He's very upfront that we would get heat for following Jesus, that we would get in all kinds of trouble with the world. John 15, verse 18 says this Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you, which is comforting. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. We always think we're going to be the exception to this, though, don't we? I do. You know, especially people that have, are a little more higher on agreeableness in their personality type, and they're always trying to please people. We always think we're going to be the exception to those words. We think we're going to be like Pam on The Office. So in one of the times when she turns to the camera, she says this, I hate the idea that someone out there hates me. I hate even thinking that Al-Qaeda hates me. I think if they got to know me, they wouldn't hate me. Like, kind of unrealistic, right? But that's the way some of us tend to be. We tend to be like Pam and thinking, like, I can make this work. I can, you know, live for Jesus and have the whole world happy with me. And it's not going to happen. Jesus said it wouldn't happen. He was explicit. You're going to get heat and hate for following Jesus. It's totally appropriate. And, and Paul, Peter here says, don't be surprised. And so when we get heat for following Jesus, it's totally to be expected. And the reason is, is because the teachings and way of Jesus are contrary to our culture. Okay? Now, they were contrary to the first century culture. You know, for Jews to start deciding to worship the God-man Jesus was completely contrary to their culture. That would have been blasphemous. You can't worship a man. And, you know, it's God in the flesh, but still, you can't worship this God-man. Um, the cross would have been scandalous both to the Greeks and to the Jews. To the Jews, this is somebody who's, you know, died cursed by God. How can you follow this person? And to the Greeks, that was the, the lowest of the low, that they would be crucified. So here you are worshiping a crucified Savior. The, the resurrection was abhorrent to the Greek culture. They, they were trying to get away from the physical, you know, and to think that we're going to get our physical bodies back is not the goal in the Greek way of thinking, in the Platonic way of thinking. Um, to not offer to, sacrifices to the gods was huge. It was huge because it was unpatriotic, and it was unloving, and it was dangerous for everybody. Because here's the way it works. If you live in a city, and you're refusing to give sacrifices to the gods, and then something bad happens, whose fault is that? That's your fault. You put us all at risk. You know, if you were a loving person, you would have sacrificed like the rest of us so that we wouldn't be harmed. But now you're willing to bring your family and our whole village to harm for not sacrificing the gods. You see how they would have been, their views would have been seen as silly. They would have been seen as backward. They would have been seen even as evil, you know, because they wouldn't do these things. Now, there was a time from about the Emperor Constantine until very recently that perhaps following Jesus and his ways would be socially acceptable and even maybe advantageous. There was a time when, you know, you follow Jesus and it kind of helps you, right? And it would have been very difficult not to in some of those contexts. Um, that was called Christendom. We don't live in that anymore. We live in a post-Christian culture now. And his teachings, again, are very much at odds with culture. Let me ask you this. Do you think, Jesus said in John 15, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Do you guys think that Jesus would be hated if he lived today? Yeah. Okay, you guys think he would, which is the right answer. Uh, we're tempted sometimes to think, no, you know, that Jesus is the kind of person that everybody would kind of like. But that's just because in our culture, we tend to think of Jesus as kind of a mild-mannered, harmless, hippie-type guy that pretty much is, um, you know, embodies all of our modern sensibilities, right? I mean, that's kind of the way we tend to think about Jesus. But he's not that way. And you guys know that. You've read the Gospels. You see that Jesus is revolutionary. Jesus is disruptive. Jesus is offensive. I mean, how many dinner parties does this guy ruin, right? How many times were the apostles take him to another dinner party or something like that saying, Jesus, just get along with people this time. Like, let's just, just chill, okay? Like, let's just have a nice time, right? Many of the teachings and ways of Jesus are now seen in our culture to be silly and backward and even evil. I'm going to give you three, okay? This will be fun. Hell, okay? 
hell. Jesus spoke more about hell than any other person in the Bible, and, the, and he gave no indication of, that he thought that hell was somehow temporary, okay? Go to the water cooler at your work tomorrow and see how that works to talk about hell with them, right? To talk about hell being something eternal. It might seem silly, might seem backward, might seem evil, right? Um, Jesus's exclusivity. Jesus was very clear that he believed he was the only way to avoid hell, the only way to be received into heaven by God was through him. Very unpopular today because we think about like, okay, well, what about these other religions and people are sincerely following those? What would Jesus say? That's a path to destruction, right? Try that at the water cooler tomorrow, you know? Like, we will get heat for Jesus if we share these things. Um, Jesus' sex ethic, right? Jesus taught that sex outside of marriage, which he would have clearly understood to be between a man and a woman, right? He taught that that was a sin deserving of eternal punishment, sex outside of marriage, right? So here, clearly condemning both homosexual and heterosexual sexual immorality. In our culture, that might be seen as silly or backward or even evil, right? Guys, if, if you don't think the world would hate Jesus, just try taking some of those teachings and, and put them out there a little bit more and see what happens. And text me. Let me know how it goes. Let me know how it goes tomorrow at work. Guys, there is so much pressure on all of you. I know this. So much pressure right now to conform to the culture's views on these issues. Tons of pressure. You're going to be seen as silly. You're going to be seen as backward. You're going to upset people. People are going to be angry. You're going to get heat for it. And so some people try to kind of reinvent Jesus, you know, as if he didn't teach these things or didn't say these things. Kind of reinvent him as the harmless hippie, you know, life coach person that will come alongside you and affirm all the things that you're doing. And, um, and they do that to try to avoid what Peter talks about here, the fiery trials. There will be heat. There will be heat for following Jesus. And many denominations have taken that tact, you know. They just continue to try and cave to the culture's expectations. They wanted Jesus without, without all the disruptive stuff, right? Without all the stuff that, that doesn't tell you, you know what, you're doing fine already on your own, you know. You're doing a great job. Just keep doing what you're doing and let me just give you a little encouragement and meaning to add to it, right? And Jesus isn't like that. You know, guys, and we think, I think it's because we have this, like, hyper-consumeristic culture where we get to choose all the options that we think that we can take Jesus and kind of customize him, right? Just like, you know, you go to lunch, you go, like, I don't really want onions on that sandwich, right? Or, you know, someday you might go, like, oh, I'd like a baby girl, and I'd like her with blue eyes and no jeans that I don't like, right? Like, we're, we're at this place where we can customize everything, hyper-consumeristic. You'll have it your way, right? The problem is we can't do that with Jesus because Jesus is an actual historical real person, and you can't customize real people, right? He had real views, and he is who he is. And the other thing, too, guys, we got to think about who would be qualified to customize Jesus, right? If you're going to update him for modern times, who's qualified to do that, right? Um, we all have things that we wish he didn't say. We all have things we wish he said. But who is qualified to edit Jesus? You guys realize that every culture has different problems with Jesus? We often think that our culture's problems with Jesus are the most gripping and the most real, Every culture has problems with Jesus, which says it's the culture, it's not Jesus, that's the problem, right? Like traditional cultures, they love Jesus' sex ethic, but they think that his loving your enemies is insane. And take that to the Middle East, you're like, oh, the sex ethic, that's great. But love your enemies, that's totally impractical. There's no way we can do that, right? Our culture is just the opposite. We say, you know, we kind of love that love your enemies thing. We don't do it, but we like the idea, and we don't like the sex ethic. Who's to say which one's the right one, right? We can't edit Jesus, and it gets worse. It gets worse because the good news you're bringing to the culture from Jesus, they will not see as good news. It's that bad. Yeah, why? Well, 
you know, there's two things that you really need to have in your head to receive Jesus as your Savior. You need to understand your sin. You need to see your sin clearly, that your sin's a problem. Your sin's put you in, in judgment before God. And you need to see the way of salvation. Jesus, the way of salvation, how do I, how do I receive him? Um, and Peter Kreft says this. He says, in the past, the difficulty in accepting Christianity is the second point, salvation. Everyone in pre-modern societies knew that sin was real, but they doubted salvation. Today, it's the exact opposite. Everyone thinks they're saved, but there's no real sin to be saved from. Thus, what originally came into the world as good news strikes the modern mind as bad news, as guilt-ridden, moralistic, and judgmental. Yet the bad news, sin, is the only part of Christianity that is obviously verifiable, right? I mean, just look at the newspaper, look at the internet, look in your own heart, right? The sin part's obvious. That's the part we deny now. Um, and so people doubt sin, and they're certain of salvation. You know, when you bring the gospel to people, they're like, well, if there is a God, of course he would accept me. Look at me. Who wouldn't want me, right? You know, I'm Gen X. I was, I was told everybody will want me, you know, right? Look at me, you know, who wouldn't want me? In fact, if there is a God, you know what? I've got a few questions for him. Have you heard that one? It's turned around, right? Who's in the judgment seat, you know? I'm in the judgment seat towards God, the other way around, right? I, I just got to think, guys, when we start our service with, with that prayer of confession, that's got to be so jarring to those of you who are, don't normally come to church, and you hear that prayer of confession, it's got to be like totally jarring to hear sin described that way. Guys, even when we bring the good news, it's going to sound like bad news. And so Peter says in verse 12, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. It's completely normal. It's completely reasonable that you would be seen as silly or backward or evil if you are accurately representing Jesus. He said it would happen. He said it several times, but all of us kind of thought we'd be Pam. You know, we'd have Jesus here, we'd have the world here, and we'd be able to smooth it out between them. And it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen, guys. It's not going to happen because Aslan won't be tamed. He's not a tame lion. You can't put him on a leash and prance him around for people. He does what he does. He says what he says. He's God, right? So don't be surprised when you get heat for Jesus. And he says, but rejoice. He says, but he says, but rejoice. He says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Now, why in the world? I mean, I get not being surprised, but the rejoicing thing's weird, right? I mean, it's a little weird. Get he for Jesus, and you're like, this is great. This makes me so happy, right? Why should we be happy when we get heat for Jesus? First reason, verse 13, is that that heat proves that, your future, that you will have future joy in Jesus' glory. You see, he says, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The fact that you are right now representing Jesus through fiery trials is proof to you that you will enjoy Jesus' glorious return. And when Jesus gloriously returns, it will be good news for you. It will be a good thing for you because you're currently enduring heat for Jesus. And this is a common teaching throughout Scripture. Common teaching is that Jesus, he took the cross before he got the crown. And over and over again, he says the same thing will happen to us. Cross before crown. Uh, Romans 8, and verse 16. It says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then look at the next word. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That provided is interesting, isn't it? We all want, this is an interesting thing about human beings, and I think you guys will all relate to this. We all want to be attached to glory. 
You guys realize this? All of us feel this need to be attached to glory. And that's why you have like a band you love and you tell everybody you love it. That's why you have books you love, you tell everybody you love it. You have a sports team that maybe you adopted late in the season, you know, and, you know, they're, they, I, I don't have a sports team, so I don't know. But you get to a point where you're like, you know, oh, it looks like they're going to win the whole thing. Like, let's get on board. You want to attach yourself to glory. We all want to attach ourselves to glory. When you go to Yosemite and you take a picture of Half Dome, you take a picture of it, you take one with you, right? You want to attach yourself to glory. That's what selfies are about, right? Have you guys seen the Super Bloom on Lake Street? Why does Lake Elsinore get all the flowers? It's the weirdest thing. I guess Lake Elsinore should get something, right? So you drive up there to Lake Street, and um, it's crazy. If you drive through it, there's actually flower traffic, flower traffic, which is kind of cool, you know, in a world like ours that people still get that excited about flowers. But it backed up. There's, like, flower traffic, like, people freaking out parking. There's, like, they put porta potties up there. There's cops up there to, like, kind of handle things. There's caution tape. Can you imagine when you're a cop, L.A. cop, if you were put in charge of flower duty? There was, um, there are food trucks up there. I mean, it's crazy, crazy. Everybody wants a picture with the glory, right? We want to attach ourselves to glory. That's what we want to do. Guys, Romans 8 says that we're going to get the ultimate attachment to glory, right? That if you're suffering for Jesus now, know that you will be glorified with him. You will get, when he returns, he's your savior. You will be attached to that glory. And that's what our hearts long for more than anything else, Right? And Jesus' second coming will be, it'll, we know from Scripture, it'll be sudden. Paul says it'll be in, the, in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. We know it's going to be physical. The angel said in, in Acts 1 that Jesus will return physically the same way he left. He'll return on the clouds. He'll return visibly. Jesus said, as lightning flashes from the east to the west, we had a little bit of that this week too, as light shines from one side to the other, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So he says like, hey, people say Jesus is here or there. Don't believe him. It's going to be obvious, right? It's going to be visible. Um, it says in Revelation, Behold, he is coming on the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Jesus will be revealed from heaven at some point in his second coming. The word apocalypse, which we think of like zombie apocalypse and all that stuff. Apocalypse means unveiling, that Jesus right now is not visible. And when he comes back, he will be visible. He will be unveiled. It's going to be loud. It says, and Paul says, The Lord will descend from heaven with the cry of command, loud, with the voice of an archangel, also loud, and with the sound of the trumpet of God that will raise the dead, very loud, okay? It will be glorious when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. He'll come in his glorious might. He will come to be glorified in his saints and marveled at by those who believe. We're going to see that glory, and we're going to enjoy that glory, granted that you're suffering with him now. You know, can you guys imagine what it'll be like to see that kind of just amazing earth shattering type glory and to know that he's coming not to condemn you, but to bless you. That's what we get in the gospel, right? And so it's coming, it's going to be, it's going to be sudden, it's going to be visible, it's going to be physical, it's going to be loud, it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be for you. Paul says, the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet and the dead in Christ will be raised. So those who are believers and have died will be raised and get new bodies. And he says, and then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together in the clouds with the Lord and always be with him. And so we'll receive, if we're still living at that time, we'll receive our transformed bodies. And then the beginning of the true super bloom, right? The true super bloom happens when heaven and earth collide and become one. You see that in Revelation 21, 22, when the kingdom comes and his will is done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. When the king returns, guys, and radiating out from his presence, every square inch of this creation will come alive in the ultimate super bloom. 
that glory, a glory for you. Peter's saying that if you're currently taking heat for Jesus, you can know for certain that you will rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed, that super bloom that's coming for you. And we're going to be super happy now because we can see that we're going to be happy with him then, that we can be happy when we take the heat. Does that make sense? So you're taking heat for Jesus now, and it's proof that you're going to enjoy that later. That's how you can be happy now. He also says that the heat that you're receiving for following Jesus is proof that Jesus' glory is showing on you. Take a look at verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Another word meaning lucky. You know, somebody calls, hey, you know, I'm really getting beat up at work and insulted about this. I'm like, lucky. Right? That's what Peter says. Lucky. Right? Blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, this idea of the spirit resting upon you is something taken from Isaiah. In Isaiah 11, it says that when the Messiah would come, you know, this is before Jesus, when the Messiah would come, the spirit would be upon him. Isaiah 11, 2 says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And so what he's saying here is that this fiery trial is proof that, that Jesus' glory is upon you, okay? That that messianic glory is resting upon you. Now, what he's saying is, he's saying, if people are giving you heat, they're seeing Jesus on you. Your Jesus is showing. Excuse me, sir. Your Messiah is showing. That's what's happening. That's what the heat's coming from. They're not reacting against you. Granted, this next verse, you know, you're not a meddler or any of those kind of things. But if you're living for Jesus and, and there being an attack, it's your Messiah's showing. Jesus is showing. Or to change the metaphor, so they, they see him on you, or to change the metaphor, they smell him on you. They smell him. Second Corinthians talks about that. Second Corinthians 2 says, through us, the fragrance of Christ, the, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ is spread everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance of death to death to another a fragrance of life to life. Who's sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as people of sincerity or commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He's saying that like they can see the Messiah and you, they can smell him. He says that some people, the smell is great. You know, people that God's calling, they're like, mm, I like that Jesus smell. You know, that's somebody that God's drawing, right? Somebody that God's drawing them and getting in their lives and drawing them towards them. You're like, ooh, I like that smell. What is that? Well, let me show you. Let me tell you about Jesus. And the other people, it says it's the smell of death. Remember I said that the gospel is something that's offensive to people in our culture if God's not opening their eyes to their sin. And so it's the smell of death. So be happy, guys, when you get heat for Jesus. It, it shows that he's showing in your life. This is validation, right? This is to make you happy. Jesus taught this to his disciples. He said that they should rejoice when they got heat for following him. And he says in Matthew 5, Blessed, or lucky, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted and have all kinds of evil things uttered against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. Be happy. Be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Isn't that amazing? And now we know why. Because... They're seeing Jesus in your life. And this heat you're getting is proof that you are going to enjoy the glory of God when he returns. And you know what's so cool about when the apostles were told to do this? They did it. In Acts 5, it says that they were beaten and charged not to talk about Jesus anymore. And you know how they left? Rejoicing. They were like, this is great. This is exactly what should happen. Right? This is exactly what should happen. They must have seen Jesus on us. This must be a sign of our future glory. 
Like, they must see and smell him on us. You know, this is great. This is the way it should be. If it was any other way, I would think there was a problem. Isn't that amazing? Their reaction. And you know, we, we know, though, guys, that Peter, who wrote this, did not react that way the first time, right? How did he react? He failed, right? First time. He was tempted when, when um, Jesus was being taken away and, uh, and caught. He denied that he even knew Jesus. But then weeks later, guys, Acts 5, that's just weeks later, he passes the test, which means that we can actually learn to respond with joy to the heat we receive in following Jesus. We can learn to respond this way. Because you were like, oh, I can't do that. You can. Peter did. He learned to respond this way. Um, somebody once said that Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. Isn't that awesome? And the second thing he says is he said, don't be ashamed, worship. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as murderers or thieves or evildoers or meddlers. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And what he's saying here is make sure that the reason why you're getting the heat isn't you. And I think that's really important. I mean, we've all worked in the workplace. We've all known people that were like the really annoying Christian that was there, wouldn't really do their job and all that kind of stuff. And so, yes, check for that. That's important. Yeah, make sure it's not you. But the other thing I want to say, especially you people that are like me, is don't assume that it's your sin that's causing the heat, right? Because a lot of times, uh, people like me, people like Pam, are the kind of people that tend to assume when people aren't happy, we did something wrong. Like, I need to fix this. I did something wrong. Jesus is saying just the opposite. People aren't happy, and it's totally normal, and it's totally good right? So look for the sin, but don't assume the sin. You know, if he's saying here, don't feel shame because you didn't meet people's expectations. If you weren't in sin, you were communicating what's in the book. People didn't like it. Don't feel ashamed. You weren't able to make people happy. You won't be able to make people happy. Don't be ashamed. He says, but worship. Look at verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in his name. Now, why in the world do we want to worship? So he says, don't be surprised be happy. And then here he says, don't be ashamed, but worship. And he starts verse 17. He tells us why we should want to worship when we get heat for following Jesus. Take a look at it. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What he's talking about here is he's saying right now God is judging his people. That might sound really strange to you. God is right now judging his people, not in the sense of condemning us, because, you know, Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's judging his people in the sense that he's testing his people. He's purifying his people. He's thinning his people, the imitation from the real. And he does this with the heat the world gives us. This is the interesting thing, is that the world reacts negatively. Jesus gives his people heat. God uses that same heat to purify and test and thin out his church, taking the imitation from the real. Isn't that amazing? Only God could do that, you know? Like, you know, God's people are out there sharing Christ. The world reacts in sin against it, and God's like, I can use that to purify my people. So that's what he's doing right now. He's judging in the sense that he's testing, purifying, and thinning, taking out imitation, leaving the real through this heat. Um, Malachi talked about this uh, 400 years before Jesus came. Malachi said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he prepares the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Notice the same language. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. 
says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure his, the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and he will refine them as gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Israel will be pleasing to the Lord as it was in the days of old, as in the former years. God right now, testing, purifying, heating up his people, separating the imitation from the real, and that's what he's doing. And we know from Jesus' words that there'll be a very intense time of this at the very end, called the tribulation. It'll be a time of very intense testing. Jesus said that it'll be so intense that if he didn't limit the amount of time, he would actually, no one would be saved. It's like this purifying fire that will get so hot that if he didn't limit the amount of time, even the elect would not be saved. And we see that kind of with Peter, don't we? Peter initially does not pass the test, Right? He, he, he buckles, he, he denies Christ, um, but then he returns. And it wasn't over for Peter because he's returning, you know? Sometimes passing the test is coming back after you fail, right? That's what it was for Peter. And I just want to say to any of you who are here this morning, you think you did something that put you on the outside of the kingdom of God and you don't think there's a path back in? What Jesus told what happened to Peter or anybody that denied him, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. You would think that was it. And yet Peter was allowed back. If you're willing to return this morning to Jesus, he's willing to receive you. Sometimes passing the test is coming back and returning after we failed. Like there is a pathway back for you. Just repent, believe he receives us. I mean, go back and read at the end of John the way Jesus treats Peter when he returns to him after his fall. It's, it's incredible. And that's there for you. Guys, it's actually a good thing to live in a time when there's a fiery trial on, on God's church. It's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing when God is testing and purifying his church because it makes really clear whether you're a part of the true temple or not. I mean, back in the time of Christendom, it would have been very hard to know. There's so many social advantages, guys, of being a Christian at that time. The harder it gets, the more heat that's applied, the easier it becomes to tell if you're really a part of that temple. You know, And he says, when you face that heat, don't be ashamed but worship. And what's really cool is the apostles did this too. Is remember in Philippi? When they were uh, preaching the gospel there and they got all beat up, it was Paul and Silas, and they were thrown into prison, Acts 16, and the, the jailers were ordered to put them in the inner, inner prison and put them in stocks. They were in stocks all night. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that is? I think it's those boards, the holes, right? You put your legs through, your arms through. Terrible thing, right? It says at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? Singing hymns to God. And it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. And we know that right after that, the, the, uh, the jailer comes to Christ through hearing that praise and worship. Guys, their suffering assured them that they were part of God's true temple, true people that was being heated and purified. And guys, it always, it's funny, when the enemy beats up the church, it always backfires. You know, you think about like Acts 7, you know, Stephen gets uh, killed and then there's this huge persecution and what happens? Then they start actually really doing the Great Commission, right? They're all going to kind of hang around together in Jerusalem and then there's this great persecution. They go out, they spread the gospel out there right? Um, Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Question is, are we willing to bleed a little, right? It's a good thing when God's church is, is tried and, and, and the heat comes upon the church because it becomes clear who's who, and it also is something that really focuses us for mission, right? The more suffering and difficulty that's put on, the more clear we go like, okay, this is what we're really here to do, you know? Kind of takes the blinders off. Last thing, he says in verse 16, 
I love this. He goes, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing good. He just basically ends this with like, guys, just keep on trusting the Lord. You know, keep trusting him. Keep trusting what he's doing. He says, Peter's given us, guys, in this passage, so many good reasons to trust the Lord when the heat comes on for following him. It's proof that you'll enjoy his glorious return. It's proof that the Messiah is showing in your life. It's proof that you're a part of God's true temple, which he's purifying. And then I want to give you just one more because I love it. It's not really obvious here, but look at verse 12, uh, 19. Do you see the word entrust there? Where was that word used before in 1 Peter, the word entrust? Is no? He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing good. You guys know where the word entrust was, was before in 1 Peter? I'll give it to you, okay? 1 Peter 2, 23. Take a look at it. When Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued what? Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What's really cool, and I love this, is that the one that you have to entrust your soul to as, as you're taking this heat is one who actually endured suffering himself. Okay, The one that you are entrusting your soul to actually had to learn to entrust his soul to God. And, and only the gospel has this because only the gospel has the incarnation. That God the Son became a man and he had to learn how to entrust his soul as, a, as, a, as the God-man. He had to learn to entrust his soul to God the Father. He had to do that. The one you're trusting, guys, had to learn how to do the very thing that you're doing. And he did it ultimately on the cross, right? Take a look at Luke 23, 44. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then listen to this. These are echoes of the same passage. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit or entrust my spirit or my soul. It's the same wording. Isn't that awesome? And then he breathed his last. Jesus entrusted himself to his Father, and now he's the one we come to as we have to entrust ourselves to God. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator. That's your faithful creator. Your faithful creator is a creator who became a man and died for you on the cross, paying the full penalty of your sin. That's how faithful he is. And I just want to end with just saying, like, we're in this together, guys. Um, the church is a fellowship of sufferers, right? First um, Corinthians 12 says that if one part hurts, we all hurt. And one thing I want to offer you guys today is if you are in a place where you need prayer for healing, you need prayer for deliverance of some kind, you need prayer for, you know, temptation you're dealing with, we'd like to, we'll have um, in the corner back here where Chad is, where the prayer table is, we'd love for you to come right after service, and there'll be a group of leaders over there, and we'll pray for you, because we're in this together. You know, this isn't a place where we come and just act like everything's cool, everything's fine, right? This is a place to receive help in our time of need. Um, Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you that we thank you for the heat we receive for following you. We pray, Lord, that you'd make us more bold. We pray that you make our hearts more courageous. We pray, Lord, that you would actually give us the thing the apostles had, that they were, they were happy to take heat for following Christ. They saw it as a sure sign of their, of their salvation. They saw it as a sure sign that they were on the right path. And Lord, I just pray we'd have that. There's no reason why we can't have that. You could give it to us, and we pray that you give it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord's Supper, um, in the Lord's Supper, we look back. We're going to look back at how 
Christ removed our sins on the cross. The bread, which is always gluten-free, by the way, the bread represents his body, his body that he entrusted to his Father on the cross as he was nailed there, his body which he freely offered to you to to save you. Uh, The cup represents his blood, his blood that frees us from the burden of karma, right? Only in Christ are you going to have anything but exactly what you deserve. When you come to Christ, you get what Jesus deserves because he got what you deserve on the cross. And so now he cleanses us, he forgives us, he treats us as his own very body, right? And so the cup reminds us of that. And I just say, if you're trusting in the body and blood of Jesus today, come forward and take these. Um, Maybe this is the first time you've ever felt a desire to come forward. Come forward and do it. Take it. If you're not trusting Christ, don't take it. But if you are, don't let anything stop you from taking it. Um, and, the, and Jesus also reminds us of one other thing. He reminds us in the Lord's Supper is he reminds us that he'll return. You guys realize that at the Last Supper, he said, I will not eat again of this until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I tell you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God. He's saying that this meal is a foretaste or an appetizer or points forward to the ultimate feast that he's going to have when he returns for us suddenly, physically, visibly, loudly, gloriously, and that that's going to be all for us and not against us. Let's pray one more time before we take the supper. Father, we, um, we've been fully fed by your word, by your holy food of your word, and we pray that you would feed us now in the holy food and drink of the table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.